perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Overarching above subscription software as a service and membership products, which is a mindset, a member mm. mindset that says, I'm going to have a long-term relationship with this customer because I am going to solve an ongoing problem for them or help them achieve an ongoing goal. And I am going to continue to layer value in and evolve my offering to deliver on that goal to the best of my abilities. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hello and Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a restful break, however different it was, and ready to take on 2021 strong. We took a little break ourselves over here over the holidays uh, with our podcast, but we're back at it full force. And over the next couple of weeks, we have some amazing, amazing guests. So to kick things off right, I have with me today, Robbie Kelman-Baxter. And she is a world-renowned consultant and speaker on everything subscriptions and membership. So just to name a few of the clients she's worked with consulting on the subscription and membership models are, well, you'll, you'll recognize some of these, Netflix, Oracle, Electronic Arts, eBay, just, just to name a few, the list goes on. She's also written multiple books, both of which I own and I highly recommend. One is called The Membership Economy and the second one is called The Forever Transaction and she's working on a uh, third one right now as we speak. And you know, if you haven't noticed, subscriptions are taking off like crazy. Did you know that during the pandemic period last year, subscription-based businesses outpaced the S&P 500 by 600%. That's no small amount. The average subscription business is worth around eight to 10 times more than a one-time e-commerce business. And the average lifetime value of a subscription customer is 178% more than a one-time customer. I, I could go on and on. Subscriptions matter a lot. And if you didn't notice, we really care about subscriptions at Bold. It's a big part of what we do. We power close to 20,000 subscription brands on various platforms. So 2021 is the new year. Um, I personally believe that every e-commerce business can benefit from adding a subscription or a membership model of some kind. So uh, we've got a few guests speaking on subscriptions over the next couple of weeks. Robbie is a great one. Let's uh, let's dive into it, shall we? Robbie Kelman-Baxter, thank you so much for coming on our show. I know subscriptions are something we are so passionate about. I know there's something you're so passionate about. I have been excited for this conversation for a long time. So thank you, first of all, for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. So who is Robbie, first of all, and why are you so passionate about subscriptions? So I have been passionate about subscriptions for about 20 years, actually. So after business school, you know, before business school, I was in consulting and big firm consulting. And then after business school, I was in product management and I got laid off when my second child was born. I have three now. And I decided I was going to hang out my own shingle and be in control of my own career. And for the first year or so, I was just doing general strategy and marketing work. And then I got Netflix as a client and I fell in love with their business model. I'd already fallen in love with it as a mom who was up late at night with babies mm -hmm. and loved always having something to watch, all, never having to go to the store like that. I understood the value. And then as a business person, I loved their relentless focus on 
you know, what I've come to call a forever promise, which is that they were going to give me a great selection of professionally created video content delivered with cost certainty in the most efficient way possible. So lots of content, no late fees, don't have to leave your house. And, you know, 15 years ago, that was three DVDs out at a time sent to you in the mail with someone else's content on it. Today, it's streaming and it's, you know, Netflix proprietary content. But they have stayed true to that promise, which was what do I, Robbie, need? I need, you know, I need a movie to watch. I need a TV show to watch if I'm up at three in the morning (laughs) and I don't want to run out. And so, you know, that was really where I just fell in love with the subscription model. And as I was falling in love with subscriptions, a lot of other people were too. And I started getting a lot of calls from people saying, hey, we want to be the Netflix of news or music or software or bicycles or dental pain management products or coffee. And Mm -hmm. so I just, you know, kept digging in and looking for patterns and trying to think about what could I apply from one company to another. And that's where I've been ever since. Well, you were certainly ahead of your time because now if you can't subscribe to something, it almost seems weird. Like I'm subscribed to my treadmill and I'm subscribed to things that I would <laughs> never normally think you would be subscribed to. But now it's, we just take it for granted, but it's normal now. So you've written a couple of books on this topic, The Forever Transaction and The Membership Economy, both of which I would highly recommend to anyone listening. They're fantastic books. It was The Membership Economy first and then most recently The Forever Transaction. I guess with The Membership Economy, why did you feel that book needed to be written? Well, so, you know, I wrote that book in 2014. And the reason I wrote it was because I was seeing these patterns and these frameworks that were working across industries. So I was working, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley and I live in Menlo Park, California. I was seeing a lot of software companies, software as a service, consumer subscriptions. But then I was also working with some news organizations and I was also working with some professional societies that have been with membership forever. And I was seeing how each could learn from the other and I was starting to develop frameworks and I was really excited about it. So, you know, I was kind of a zealot and if I was sitting next to some executive or entrepreneur on an airplane, I would say, I work with subscriptions. And they would say, oh, that's probably not relevant for me. Uh And and I was like, no, it's so relevant for you. And so I wrote the membership economy to explain to people what was this massive transformation that I was seeing with all of these different industries applying these principles with great results and to show how you, whatever organization, big, small, bootstrapped, venture-backed, big old-time brand, you know, small, edgy tech brand, everybody could tap into these principles to build recurring revenue, greater lifetime customer value, better relationship with your customers. And so that's what I wrote the book was to explain what I was seeing and to try to help other people see that as well. Well, and I would say now that challenge of getting those big brands to see that kind of is essentially gone now, would you say? Yeah. So five years later, right? Or, you know, five years later, I don't have to explain to anybody about subscriptions. Now, if I'm sitting next to somebody and, you know, I haven't been on an airplane in a while, but when I was traveling a lot, when I said I work in subscriptions, I'd get one of two answers. Either, oh, my company's thinking about subscriptions or has just experimented with subscriptions or has had subscriptions and is trying to reinvent their subscriptions. And we're trying, you know, and we're having this problem or that problem. That was one answer. The other one is, oh, I'm trying to cancel this subscription and I'm so mad at them and they made it so hard. Mm. But everybody is aware of subscriptions right now. I don't think that there is a business out there that has not at least considered whether subscription pricing or a membership model could be effectively used in their organization, regardless of size. 
or a bit of a combination of both, right? Like, so a trend I think I'm seeing now is from subscription to, well, there's subscription and there's membership and then there's as a service. And so like, if I, if, let's just take yeah. like a clothing company. So you can subscribe to clothing. You can have style as a service. So I'm getting my style, yeah. but it's really, it's not the clothing I'm subscribing to. I'm getting style as a service, but then there's an aspect of membership. So like Fabletics is a great example. They have a subscription. I get my clothing every month, but it's athletic wear as a service and they have a great community. So there's a member aspect to it as well too. So what's your thoughts on as a service as it pertains to e-commerce and maybe product companies thinking about it? Yeah, I think it's if you imagine that designing this new membership oriented model is and you have a painter's palette to create it. I think as a service is one of the colors you can paint with but it's not going to make a beautiful picture by itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, just for terms, at least the way I think about it, subscription is a pricing decision. It's you pay somebody on a periodic basis in exchange for some ongoing value. Mm-hmm. A membership, you know, there's sort of two ways of thinking about, mem- well, membership with a big M, membership with a little M. One of them is, you know, a lot of organizations have a product that they call our membership. And it's like, it's got its own PL. Like a lot of associations have that. Mm. You might say that for, you know, Amazon Prime might be a PL. Like how many people pay us every month or every year to be part of this group? But then there's the other kind of membership, which is what I write about, which is kind of overarching above subscription software as a service and membership products, which is a mindset, a member Mm. mindset that says, I'm going to have a long-term relationship with this customer because I am going to solve an ongoing problem for them or help them achieve an ongoing goal. And I am going to continue to layer value in and evolve my offering to deliver on that goal to the best of my abilities. So, you know, newspapers, 50, you know, their forever promise, I would say, is for most of them to help readers understand the world around them so they can make better decisions, more informed decisions. And that was the same 50 years ago as it is today. But the how has changed dramatically. And the best news organizations have layered in digital and social and video and podcast and Mm -hmm. events and community and access to their journalists, all different ways to do what? To help people understand the world around them and make better decisions. There's no reason that you would jump to printed newspaper. If I said, how are you going to help people make better decisions? Right? There's a million ways to do it. So that's really what's at the core of any of these things. So if you're selling clothing, for example, kind of the lowest order benefit is she needs a white blouse, I'll sell her a white blouse, but I'm buying the white blouse for work. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you can make me look professional and feel my best at work, you can tap into a deeper relationship with me. If you understand that that's my journey, like I'm trying to solve the pain point. Me, Robbie, I hate buying clothes. Right. I like to look nice, but I don't really like to <laughs> shop. And if somebody if the clothes, if the right clothes for the occasion magically appeared in my closet just in time, I would pay a huge premium for that on an ongoing basis forever. Yeah that's really what you're buying is you're buying the style. It's so a couple of things that hit me as you're speaking there. First of all, I want to say, so would you say this statement is true that every brand should have a membership model or focus on memberships? Some membership models have a subscription. Some don't like it's not yes. membership is primary. Yes. It's a, the way I talk about it is it's a member mindset. So some organizations are member centric 
Some organizations are product centric and some organizations are, shall we say, sales centric or revenue centric, very focused on how do we get to this number? Let's work backwards each quarter. And, you know, being member centric means not just being customer centric, but thinking about that customer as somebody who's going to stay for a long time. And if you just look at your business through that lens and say, who are the customers that stay for a long time and how do we create more of them? And how do we serve the ones we have better and deepen and expand our relationship? You'll come up with all kinds of ideas, which may or may not require a subscription. So one really good example of that is Apple with their hardware products until pretty recently they were really mostly a hardware company. They've moved aggressively into software and subscription in the past few years, but even like five, 10 years ago, people would still talk about themselves as I'm an Apple person. Mm -hmm. I just walk into the store. If I need a phone or if I need a phone case or if I need a computer or a screen or anything, a printer, which they don't even sell, I go to the Apple store first and I say, what do I do? And I trust them. And I know that as long as I do what they tell me, everything will work together and they will support it. Mm -hmm. So there's no subscription there. Right. I actually think there could be. I. It's funny you mentioned Apple. I was just talking about someone with this the other day. I think there will be, and I'm going to go on record as <laughs> betting that within two years, Apple's going to launch Apple as a service. I think. Yeah, I think because I, agree. I think their strength is actually their ecosystem, and I. I am an Apple. I'm one of those Apple people, but. At the end of the day, an Android watch is pretty much just as good as an Apple watch and an Android phone is pretty much just as good as an Apple phone and a different tablet, a different laptop, yada, yada. But when you have them all together, the Apple watch, the Apple phone, the Apple tablet, Apple TV, MacBook, and then everything kind of syncs and it's just like you grab one and all your stuff is there. That's the value. It's the ecosystem. And so yeah. get people to subscribe to that for, I don't know, what you know, like 200 bucks a month or 300 bucks a month. And you can have different levels. You could pay 500 bucks a month and you get a premium MacBook Pro and an iPad Pro, or you can have the basic version or whatever. I think that's where Apple actually needs to get to, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Like, I just want to have a good layout and a good setup for my house. And I would like for them to do it. And I would like everything to work. And if something doesn't work, I would like them to make it magically work again. <laughs> and I would pay it. Honestly, I mean, that's where we're going. If you run a nail salon, newsflash, nobody goes for the manicure, right? You go because you want your nails to look good. Or you might go because you want to be pampered. But if you tap into one of those needs, you realize like, I don't, it's not perfect that I buy a manicure because I get my manicure, I leave, I chip my nail, then I have to go back in and either pay for a whole manicure again. Like it's a production. I would like it to be optimized around my nails always looking good. Mm -hmm. And frankly, if the nail salon came up with a pill I could take that made my nails always look good and it cost twice as much as I'm spending on manicures, I'd take the pill. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that. One of my favorite kind of quotes is like when the hammer for the nail thing, it's like when you're selling the hammer and mm -hmm. you advertise the hammer and it's like, this is the best hammer. It's got this grip. It's got this. But does the customer actually want your hammer or do they want the nail in the wall? And do they want the nail in the wall right. or do they want a bookshelf there? And do they really want a bookshelf right. or do they want a place to hang the forever transaction and membership economy book? Right. So it might right. not even be exactly it might, it might not even be the bookshelf. It's getting to what they actually want. I think you nailed it. And it's such a good, yeah, it's such a good point that you bring up because with that bookshelf example and the hammer, there might be two different people. One of them is like, I am a contractor. I am a construction worker. I really care about the hammer because <laughs> I mean, but I'm, I care about its usability and how often, you know, how well it will last and how strong it is. But if you're, again, Robbie, I would really like to find a better solution that does not involve me hammering my thumb into the wall. 
And so if you know that at the hardware store, when I come in for the hammer, you can actually maybe sell me the service and maybe even say, you know, what if once a month we sent someone out to your house to see if there's any other projects to be done? Mm. Right. Because that's what I really want. I want my house to be nice and homey and to have a place for my stuff. And so there's always another level. If you buy coffee, right, you might be buying the coffee because it's a treat for you. You might be buying the coffee because it wakes you up in the morning. You might be buying the coffee because that gives you a break in your day. There's an understanding how it fits into the person's life. Yeah is going to help you understand what to layer in besides the coffee that you sell. Do you want to learn more about coffee? Do you want to have more enjoyable coffee breaks? Yeah. Do you want to travel to the place where the coffee is made and learn about the culture? All of those things can add value if you know why your customer came to you in the first place. Amen. So Robbie, one of the things you talk about in your book, The Membership Economy, is about building an organization that's built for the membership model. And that really stuck with me because here at Bold, we have around 16,000 merchants using Bold subscriptions today trying to launch or scale a subscription business. And I know so often they think about the product, they think about what's their pricing model going to be, they think about all that, but they are a e-commerce business slapping on, (laughs) if you will, a band-aid or not, but like slapping on a subscription And nothing else changes, nothing like literally nothing else changes in the company, but they're just like add the subscription option. But you talk a lot about having an organization built for the membership model. So what does that mean? An organization like built for membership? Yeah. So it's an organization where everybody's thinking about who are we serving and what is the long term goal that they have that justifies their trust in us. So, for example, you know, one of the easiest models in commerce is um, a replenishment model, right? I'll never run out of coffee or I'll never run out of tuna fish or wine or potato chips or what have you or diapers. And there is some value there. But if you take it a step further, you can find more ways to layer in more value and differentiate your offering. So, you know, beyond replenishment, I know you know this, there is curation, which is like a discovery box. Like I'm going to learn new things. I'm going to find new kinds of wine or new kinds of coffee or new kinds of bow ties. And then there's community and there's, you know, there's access to community, to information, to learning, to education, to support, to concierge services, Mm -hmm. to classes. And so when you're designing, when you have a member mindset, the initial offering is just your starting point. And you're really thinking about how you solve that problem. And so everybody in the organization needs to be thinking that way. So acquisition, you know, in a traditional model acquisition, you know, boom, you know, you, your prospect learns about you, they find their way to your site, they buy your product, boom, that's the end. You go back out and try to catch them or some other customer for the next transaction. In the membership economy, that first transaction is worthless if you're not going to keep them. So you're not just concerned about the headline benefit that brings them, you know, hey, come try this product, but you're about why they should stay, why they should trust you, why they should expand the relationship. So it's different for the acquisition team. It's different, certainly for the product team that's building that what is being offered for the subscription. And it's different in terms of how you support it, how you treat those people. It's got to be a better experience as a customer or slash member. Because you're dealing with someone who's not trying to just figure out how they can do the minimal support possible and save as much money or not even support it at all. (laughs) Because like their whole business, your lifetime value is tied into your relationship with that brand. So like ultimately, it's kind of a win-win, right? For the customer and the store. Oh, absolutely. It's a win-win because I mean, that's what it has to be because the in a good subscription, 
the customer, the subscriber says, I don't have to worry about this anymore. You know, my dog food just shows up on my door. I'm always current on what my favorite musician is doing and I get all of their music first and I don't have to worry about it. I just, it just comes to me and I love it. And then the company or the organization says, when I go through all the effort of finding a great customer who loves what I have, I can more effectively keep them for a long time. So cost of acquisition goes way down and I can learn from them what else they need. I get to know them. So I'm like, oh, I see what they're asking for. I understand this behavior and you can model it for new customers, for lookalikes. So it's Mm -hmm. really powerful on both sides. Yeah, the data you have from having a direct relationship with your member, I think is probably very underutilized by a lot of brands and it's extremely valuable. You talked a lot about onboarding as well, too, and the importance of member onboarding. And I can also tell you, so as much as a lot of brands slap on a subscription, they also leave onboarding as an afterthought. It's kind of like, let's get membership and subscription launched. And then they either don't have any concept of member onboarding or it's a year later when they have a massive churn problem and retention issues, they start yeah. to think, <laughs> then they start to think about it. What are some of your thoughts and considerations for membership onboarding? If the people listening, if you remember nothing else or take nothing else away from this conversation, it's please the power of onboarding. When you have a brand new customer that is paying attention to you in that moment. There is a half-life on enthusiasm. So Mm -hmm. you want to take that moment when they're considering your business and your products to, number one, remove all friction and give them a great experience, which most companies try to do. Number two, reinforce the wisdom of their decision by showing them what they're saving or what they're gaining or what they're accessing. And number three, to begin to guide them to get the experience that your best customers get. Right. So that's about surfacing the features that they're entitled to. Right. It's about saying, you know, do you know that you also now that you're getting our dog food every week, do you know you're also part of the dog food community? And there's a special area for people with puppies. Did you know that we're going to meet at such and such a dog park in your community? It's about making sure that they're getting the value that they're paying for. And if you do this, and you can do this in any number of ways, if you're really high margin or high cost, you could do it in person with a customer success team. If you're on a budget or you really want to be, you know, totally digital, you can build it into the digital experience, the product experience. You can also put it outside the product experience as ongoing communications, emails or texts or in your social communities. There's lots of ways to do this, but the important thing is that right in that moment, you want to reinforce their decision and show them what your best customers do. I love it. I think I got a subscription to, it was like some health vitamins one time and the onboarding process said something, it was something to the extent of like over the next month, we'll let you know what's happening in your body as you start to take these probiotics. And it was like, oh, wow. after the first week, you got an email. It's like, here's what's happening in your gut right now. It's forming the good bacteria that's now breaking down 10% more of food as it passes you. And you're probably feeling 5% more energetic or whatever it was. I can't remember the details. And then like the next week, something else, something else. But the knowledge that product became 10 times more valuable to me because of what I knew of it versus just I'm buying something that just says probiotics and I, I kind of know they're healthy, but I don't know. And then like, I'll never cancel that because I know what is actually doing. I think 
you said something about helping your customer understand the product, understand the value. Here's how you use these features. I recently did like the onboarding with Superhuman. It's like an email provider and they did personal, it's $40 a month so they can afford to do it, but it's like personal yeah. onboarding. Someone walks you through how to use the email client and their whole thing is to like to get through your email super fast using keyboard shortcuts. And I would have never figured out all those shortcuts on my own. I wouldn't have taken the time, but you can't install the software until you go through their onboarding. And when you do the onboarding, then you see the value in it. And if you just search for Superhuman on Twitter, people are like raving fans about this email software. But I guarantee they wouldn't be if they didn't go through that onboarding process to understand all the value that's in this simple email client. But I think it's so important. Yeah, I love both of those examples. The probiotics one is a great example of reinforcing the wisdom of someone's decision by saying, hey, you did something good for your body and this is what's happening right now. And I think that's great. I think also requiring onboarding, it depends on your business, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of businesses where that introducing that little bit of friction does two things. One of them is it makes you feel like you're part of the club if you're in there. Mm Mm-hmm. And it it gets rid of the people that aren't likely to get the value. Like if you hadn't gone through that onboarding process with Superhuman, you wouldn't be using all the features. And so you wouldn't think it was as valuable. Even though it is valuable, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't have found those features or learned how to use them. So they can say, look, we'd rather not bring someone in if they're not going to get value. 100%. And that's a very member mindset. And I am willing to bet anything that if... I don't know what you call this. It's like an emotional attachment to this brand because I've spoken to someone and I was onboarded. My first contact with them wasn't when something went wrong. My first contact was being onboarded, having a great experience. And if something goes wrong, I'm way less likely to say something mean about them on Twitter or throw them, leave a negative review in the app store or something like that. Like, because I've actually been, I'll always give them the benefit of the doubt. And I guarantee that's like that with brands with someone's. And I actually think there's something to be said for hearing someone's voice on a phone through that onboarding process. I think definitely don't skip out on the email onboarding, everything else. But if there's ever the opportunity to do that, like you said, though, if margins are (laughs) high enough, definitely worth looking at. Well, on that topic, so, you know, member retention and churn is uh, for a membership company is probably the biggest fear for so many brands. And you talked a lot about building loyalty into member habits from the beginning. What does that mean, building loyalty into your member habits? And how can stores think about that? Yeah. So one way to think, if you're thinking about retention and churn and you're struggling with it, I think it's helpful to work your way backwards and try to figure out what's driving the churn? Like what are the different, you know, you really want to get very precise about the driver of churn. So I sometimes think about this metaphor of a party and Mm -hmm. like an open, like a house party or a a party that a bar would have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing is I go to that bar all the time. I've seen, you know, I've heard the band, I've heard every song they sing. I've had every drink they offer. I've tasted all the food. I'm sick of the people. I'm sick of the (laughs) ambiance. I need something new, right? That's like, I've used up the membership, Yeah. right? So then what you need to do is you need to expand what you offer, right? So this might be true of somebody like you've gone through, you know, we were talking about discovery boxes, right? And it might just be like, I've seen, it's only so many ties one dad can wear, right? I just have enough. (laughs) I am maxed out. Like Maybe you should give me socks now. Maybe you should give me cufflinks, but the tie department is all full. Then you want to work your way backwards and say, well, maybe it's that something wasn't really working in that product. Like, I love the idea of this party, but... The bar had really long lines and the dance floor was either too crowded or completely empty. And I hate all the songs. So that's a product problem as well, but it's more of an operational issue. Mm -hmm. So you might have an operational problem. 
working your way backwards, a lot of the problems come in what I think of as that onboarding phase or failure to launch is what a lot of people say, which is somebody joins for the free trial or for the special early offer, and then they cancel in the first month. Right. And a lot of times that's because they never made it a habit. They never got the full amount of value because, you know, like you said, maybe it's, they're just sending me the vitamins or the probiotics and I don't really know what they do and they don't taste good. And I don't really notice a big change. So I guess I'll just stop. So that can all be resolved in that onboarding phase. And that's really where building habits comes into play. Reinforcing, you know, habits are all about guidance and reinforcement Mm -hmm. and recognizing and rewarding people who are doing the right thing. So all of that serves to build loyalty and engagement. Another thing to note that I think is really interesting and kind of counterintuitive is that you talked about how it's great to meet somebody before things go wrong, which I think is amazing if you can do that and you can afford it. When something goes wrong, how you handle that, if you treat them like a member who's going to be there forever, that's very different than if you're just trying to get them off the phone Mm -hmm. or just trying to get them to stop complaining. And if you treat them like you want to keep them for a long time, that could be the thing that makes them loyal. And you hear these stories all the time, anecdotally, right? I ordered, I was getting this, you know, I had a subscription to energy bars and my first shipment came and everything had melted and it was disgusting. And I called them and they were so nice. And the next morning I had a huge box of them with a note from the CEO and flowers, Hmm. right? And you're like, I love them. You know, I love them. Or, you know, Peloton that, you know, when somebody stops using their, the bike and you're like, why aren't they there? That somebody called in and said, you know, I broke my leg. That's why I'm not riding the bike anymore. And they sent her, you know, a box of merch (laughs) and they also paused her subscription. They said, well, you're certainly not going to be using the bike for the next six weeks. Let's not charge you for the next two months. (laughs) And that builds great loyalty when you have a problem and they fix it for you. They must hear some funny things when they do those calls. I got into this Netflix show and I'm addicted and I'm not exercising anymore. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's super important because a lot of companies wait to do retention until the person calls to cancel and it's too late by then. You want to do it when you notice their behavior is changing. I mean, ideally, you want to know if their dog is eating the dog food or if the dog food is piling up in the cupboard or the razors or the shampoo. You want to know that before they cancel because you can pause, you can adjust what they're getting. You can maybe help them use it more effectively if they're not really using it. That's super important to do before they decide they want to cancel. Yeah, the days of keeping your customers by hiding cancel buttons are long gone. And you talk about subscription fatigue, subscription overwhelm, subscription guilt, and that kind of ties into this a little bit. Can you elaborate on what that is and maybe how brands can help avoid that for their members? Yeah. So we're in a world right now where everybody is using subscriptions, right? So if you ask a consumer or a business person and you say, look, in your business and personal life, how many subscriptions do you use or pay for? The numbers are staggering. And so people are exhausted. They love good subscriptions, but they're also really cynical about bad subscriptions. And so they're going to wonder, why are you making me subscribe when I used to be able to buy it outright? They're going to ask, what are the cancel policies? They're much savvier. And so if you know you're working in a world of subscription fatigue, you need to make sure you have product market fit, meaning that you're giving them enough benefit to justify the subscription, which is probably more than just sending them 
a box of stuff Mm -hmm. every month. You need to make sure that they're getting the value that they're paying for because otherwise you have subscription guilt where people are like, I have this subscription. I haven't watched a show in a month or all the energy bars are piling up in my pantry. You know, I remember one of my neighbors last summer had a subscription to Blue Apron and his wife and kids were out of town. And so he came over to hang out with my husband and me and we were like, oh, why don't you stay? We're going to grill burgers. And he's like, oh, I can't because there's a Blue Apron box in my fridge and I promised my wife I'd use it because it's going to go bad if I don't use it today. But what's interesting to note is he wasn't going to lose any money. Like he'd already bought the subscription box and we were offering him free burgers. So he wasn't going to have to spend any more money. And it would probably, hopefully it would be more fun to be with us, but it made him feel bad about himself that he wasn't using his mm. it was sort of, you know, nagging at him. And then the last reason for subscription fatigue is what you mentioned, which is canceling, hiding the cancel button. And people feel really cheated when that happens. So mm-hmm. don't do those three things. <laughs> no, definitely not. That's really an interesting one with the Blue Apron example. I think something I feel is there needs to be with every subscription at least three times more value than whatever the product is because like if it and you know you talked earlier about whether that's being community or that being access to something or that being maybe Blue Apron has partnerships with a whole bunch of other companies and you're getting discounts at this and you get access to like gym memberships and maybe they partner with Peloton and you get 10% off Peloton every month because you subscribe to Blue Apron or whatever. It becomes less about the product and if you're like, ah, you know what? I didn't have it for a couple of days, but that's okay because there's all this extra value. That might be a great way to tackle that problem yeah. because that that is a real one, like the buildup of the subscription product, which happens to everyone. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. So I guess on that topic. We talk a lot about, so pricing plays into this a little bit too. You were talking about free trials. And first of all, I think you're a proponent of the free trial model, correct? Like your pricing should be the servant and not the the, the master strategy is the master yeah. or what was it? Strategy is the master. Yeah. Because subscription is a pricing decision and that's just a tactic. And what I think about is free trial and freemium both have their place, but you need to make sure that you're getting a return on your investment, that you understand why you have it in your business model and what it does for you. So a free trial you give because somebody doesn't understand what you're offering or they don't believe it's as delicious or as great as you say. So if you know that in two weeks, that it takes two weeks before somebody feels the massive change from taking your vitamins, you might want to give them two weeks to really experience that. They'll understand what you're talking about. Or if you say, I have the best cookies in the world, I might want to taste them before I subscribe. That's why you have a free trial. You do not want to fill them up. You do not want it to go on any longer than it takes for them to answer those two questions. If you don't have Mm. those two issues, you don't want to give a free trial, period. For freemium, which is an ongoing access to something forever, it's very hard to do if you have physical product, but you can do it in the form of community, digital content, those kinds of ancillary services, which build a relationship with somebody so that when they're ready to subscribe to the paid product, the paid subscription, they already have their relationship. You've changed their behavior. But, you know, in physical product models, it doesn't really make sense to send free stuff forever unless that person is an influencer, meaning they'll bring in other people or they are a part of the product. Like, for example, if you're selling back when when Skype was selling headsets, right? Every new person that used Skype increased the likelihood that other people were going to buy headsets because it made Skype more valuable. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the free 
the way I would phrase it in my head for it to make sense for me is a free trial should just help your customer answer the question of if it's a good product for them. Like it should never be that they're using the free trial to take advantage of it or or like you don't need like extended versions of the trial. Like it's it's like you said, like to let them know that, to answer those questions. And then as a brand, you need to onboard the heck out of them during that period, educate them, bring them into your community, show them all the value. Because there is a much higher, I mean, we've, I think it's around 178% higher LTV for subscription customers versus one-time customers. So I Mm -hmm. look at it a little bit too, like if you're spending money on ads and Facebook and Instagram ads to get those customers, conversion is lower for subscriptions than one-time products. When we look at stores that sell, you know, coffee as one-time and coffee as a subscription, conversion is lower. So it's harder to get a subscriber, but they're more valuable. So I'm okay spending a little bit more to get those customers. So I think there's a free trial can work, but I think you're right. There's a time and place for it. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be because they don't understand or they don't believe you. Those are the only two reasons for a free trial. Yeah. I want to jump into our lightning questions here before we run out of time. This has been really, really awesome, Robbie. Thank you so much. We have, I don't know if if you had a chance to read our lightning round question. Yeah. Yeah. You did? Yeah. I'm ready. Okay, well, let's do it then. (laughs) So I tailored them a little bit for you because you're obviously in the subscription space. But Robbie, what's a pet peeve you have when you are buying subscriptions online? My pet peeve is when they hide the cancel button, when I don't know how I'm going to cancel it. Yes, 100%. Does that still happen though, a lot? All the time. People are still doing that? Yeah, at the subscription show, which is an event that I know you know that Subscription Insider puts on every year. They have Leslie Fair from the FTC come and they also have, I'm going to get her name right, Lisa, I can't think of her last name, but who's an expert on this space. And they talk about things like font size and you can't have silver font on a gray background in eight point font telling people what they need to do to cancel. People do it all the time, wow. especially in the I mean, nutraceuticals space, in the a lot of different spaces, but a lot of, you know, and, and in fact, continuity programs kind of have a bad rap now because there's so much kind of associated baggage with this hiding of the cancel button. Well, they need to use bold subscriptions because their customers could cancel it. <laughs> Absolutely. What's one e-commerce trend that you are very excited about? I'm excited to see brands, small, interesting brands going direct to their customers and not having to go through the big retailers and seeing them have an opportunity to offer more than just the product, but offer their expertise around that product to really help pockets of consumers. I love that. Yeah. And I think I am too. And and I think that's happening. And what the internet's doing, it's allowing this direct to consumer revolution that's basically like, You used to go back, you know, like 100 years ago, you would go to a store and buy from the person that was making the product. But then these distributors came in between and housed everything. And we've lost relationships with the brands. But now that's getting restored. It's it's really, I'm really excited about that as well, too. What's the smallest change you've made in your life or your business that's made the biggest impact? In my business, I think it's getting into a habit of writing down my three goals for tomorrow at the end of every day. Hmm. I love it. I read something recently. If you improve 1% a day, you've 37x at the end of a year. So I like to always ask people not what the biggest thing is, but what's something small. And I'm going to pile all these together and apply them to myself. And I'm going to be a 37 times better. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what's, uh, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about your job? I'm always learning. I'm always learning. And I'm able to apply that learning to help other people. Those two things 
really juice me. You know, the always, you know, being like, oh, that's a new industry or yeah. that's a new idea. Or, you know, this morning I talked to a guy that's a pricing expert and was, you know, really digging in on how that affects subscriptions. I love that. And then I love being able to help people. Well, I think you probably know this. Gartner's predicting, Gartner Research, that by 2023, 75% of all direct-to-consumer brands are going to have a subscription membership offering on their store. So you are in the right space. And I think we'll all be learning a lot in a few (laughs) years. What's your favorite business or leadership quote or something you live by? It's kind of two-part. Somebody told me in a particular job where I didn't feel like I was appreciated they said, don't go somewhere where they don't think you're a rock star, or if your boss doesn't think you're great, move on. And what I would say, the corollary is that I use now is that the talent market is not efficient. So in other words, you might be worth a lot mm-hmm. with one group of people and worthless in a different group of people. You know, there's that story about mm-hmm. the kid who inherits his dad's old car under a tarp and he calls three people and first, you know, the junk guy says, you can pay me 50 bucks and I'll haul it off for you. And the second guy says, you know what? I see some useful parts. I'll take your parts for, I'll give you a hundred bucks for the parts. And the third guy says, that's a collectible is a hundred thousand dollars. Good. Right. It's just, you never know what you're worth. So to never feel bad, if you don't feel like you're being valued to kind of learn from that and find a better fit. Yeah. That's, Great advice for so many areas of life, I think. If you could make, this is the last one, if you could give one or make sure there was one piece of advice that every store owner listing any platform, no matter what they sell, but running a store, an e-commerce store, what advice would you give them? Know who your customer is and be really focused on them. And don't try to be all things to all people. Start with a really clear idea of who you're serving and then serve them as well as you can and as completely as you can. And don't let the products that you sell in your store become the product of your store. In other words, it's not just about the Mm. thing you're buying. It's about the full experience. Well, Robbie, I just want to say you live what you preach because to those listening, right before this recording, Robbie and I were talking for a little bit and she asked me, who is the listener? What are they like? Describe them. What size are they? And she wanted to know everything about who the listener was. And here you are, your advice is know your customer. So I think that is very telling of you as a person. You practice what you preach. I love that. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Robbie, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. For those listening, where would you like to send people to learn? I know you do a lot of things. You speak at events, but where would you like to send people to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So the easiest place is RobbieKilmanBaxter.com. That's my name, RobbieKilmanBaxter.com. And you can find out about my books there. And if you slash audience, RobbieKilmanBaxter.com slash audience, you can get a chapter from my new book and a membership manifesto and some process visuals. And then you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And so if you mention this podcast, I'll be delighted to link in with you. Awesome. Robbie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jay. It's been fun. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 